Today we are on the fourth beatitude. And how we got here is the first beatitudes are not random, but it is in progression. In order for us to get to the, this hunger, the emptying process has to be there. So if you look at um, beatitude number four and beatitude number eight, the key word is righteousness. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who are persecuted for the righteousness sake. So in one word, if you think about not only Beatitude, but whole whole Summer of the Mount theme is true righteousness. And then Jesus mentioned the religious righteousness is, doesn't, isn't going to cut it. That your righteousness has to surpass the righteousness of Pharisees. We're talking about ultra-devotion of religiosity of that they were going through. So because of that, another way of saying the theme is a counterculture. Christ's value and Christ's righteousness is so radically different that we ought to live that counterculture. But coming back to this, think about this. Recognizing first step of our true spiritual state, which is Spiritual bankruptcy, not in the beginning only, but constantly. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So we, as a Christian, we cannot live our Christian life in our own efforts. The only way to live is to remain in Jesus, abide in Christ, so that we can live by the power of the Holy Spirit and that spiritual bankruptcy leads to mourning over sin as well as our sins. What do I mean by that? The sins are trespasses, the things that we do wrong. But sin is the ultimate root causes of the things that we do. The sin nature that we live with, and Apostle Paul calls in the New Testament the flesh. We will struggle with this power of sin all through our Christian life. And then we shall be free from the presence of sin, which is called glorification. When we see Jesus face to face. And then that, that leads us to deal, dealing with the self. Self who is trying to insist his or her own way. And, and self who does the bad things. But also self who is noble and religious try to earn God's righteousness by effort. Self who does a lot of good things. So that is, is actually the problematic for religious people. That we are to be different from the nominal Christians or religious people. That our righteousness to look different. But what is it then? That our self is the problem. The emptying process is basically the kingdom of self is being undermined by the kingdom of God. Sovereign rule of God is undermining our own way 
of living our life. That's typical philosophy of life in America, isn't it? You know, most of us, most of us really probably know the, very familiar with song, My Way. I did it my way. Frank Sinatra sang, you know, sounds very resonating with most Americans, right? Unless we become aware of what is it really saying. It's an autonomy in my own reliance, in my own effort. No matter what happens, I have led my life in my way. That is sin. Sinful. So when meekness happens, meekness is humility toward God as well as humility toward people. So actually, meekness is a person who is tamed by control of the Holy Spirit, by control of the humility. So God can easily lead that person. So that's the first process of that emptying process. Now, fourth is in a kind of different mode. Now that things are false, pride and false, righteousness is gone, we're now hunger for the right things. There's a new longing. There's a new desire. One thing that I would like to mention, actually a couple of things. So there is a progression. Being poor in spirit and mourning over our sin and being meek, broken to God and to others and hunger and thirst for righteousness. So in, in this sense, we, we need to see the progression of it. Unless you are embracing first three beatitudes, you cannot embrace fourth attitude. You cannot have, I have everything I need, but on top of that, I want God too. No, it doesn't work that way. We need to be first empty. But the second thing that I'm going to say is, oh, by the way, the, 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 the bottom uh, four is now that emptied and God's feeling us and in relationships, in our relationships and the way we relate to others are being changed and transformed. So progression is number one. Number two is we do not graduate. This is a, a constant cycle of spiritual transformation because we learned the lesson, oh, I really felt utterly humbled by God and I, I just wept over my sin and then I graduated. You can't do that. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. The mourning continues on. Unless we are mourners, we will not experience God's comfort and joy. Repentance and contrition leads to dancing and joy of salvation. And, and David's words, do not take away the joy of salvation from me when he sinned. The rest restoration means all that. So let's keep this in mind. And then as you know, 
as you could sense, the fourth is quite a different step. Now we are actually hunger for the right things. But this hunger is not, I would say 99% of us never experience this kind of hunger and thirst. Just imagine that you didn't eat uh, two meals or uh, you, you fasted one or two days and that hunger. That, that is more of an inconvenience compared to this intense craving. I think we could think about the people on a shipwreck and they were on the ocean just barely surviving, cannot drink the ocean water, and there is no food around, and a piece of just shipwrecked wood they're holding onto. And it's been 10 days. That is hunger and thirst in this passage. The extreme hunger and thirst. The Greek word uses implies for that. So its intensity points to deep craving in one's soul which defines a hidden mission. This is a, by default, um, there's a constant craving is there. When, when you are really thirsty, even, even just running a half marathon, and then you're coming, coming to an end, and somebody's trying to explain very important concept of parenthood, or what, whatever that you are in originally interested, you're not ready to listen. All your hidden motive is for that water, for that food. <coughs> but secondly, um, well, Psalm 63 points to that. In a dry land, that uh, David is wandering and, uh, and really searching for God and thirst. And says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in dry, weary land, there is no water. But what happened to our heart? It got defiled because of sin came in. And because of our fallen heart, and there are false cravings, and we do not even know as a non-Christian. But as a Christians, we may know, but we are still lured into, lied to, pursue these false cravings. Jeremiah 2.13 For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that cannot hold water. It will not satisfy you. But why are you continually pursuing that? And it's illogical things even in our own temptations as well. Isaiah puts it this way. Isaiah 55, verse 2 to 3. 
Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live and I'll make, make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast Sure love for David. What are some of our false cravings? Broken cisterns. We teach them to children. But as adults, we act like we, we have no concerns or we're not affected. We're actually stronger and bigger over these. That's Fool. What the fools do, in other words. Spiritually wise. Knowing that we're spiritually bankrupt. These things are. Cannot satisfy us. Sorry. Where did it go? I, I, I may have deleted that. X by accident. These things, what, what are these things? Typically, money, power, fame, sex. Sex means all kinds of pleasures. A continually pursuit of many, many Americans, isn't it? Okay. When you become a believer, all these things are a little bit of a kind of bad things. But what about self-recognition? Self-indulgence? Self-reliance? And including self-actualization in which we find our glory, self-glory. In a practical sense, the reason why we love our kids is because they reflect, in some sense, the way we feel about ourselves, if we become honest. So when our, our kids do well in school, we feel proud. I must be doing something right. We would dare not to say as a Christians. When our kids look really cute, as if we have some credit to that, we feel good. So oftentimes when our friends comment on how cute our kids are and how brilliant our kids are, how talented our kids are, thank you. I feel so great. I don't say it, but... And including some minimal... Things my second son is into these games and it finally paid off. So they have a school high school club for this particular game. I, well, a couple of geeks, you know, a few geeks. They got together and there was a competition last night. He won second second place, <laughs> and he goes, "Dad, I made thirty thirty four dollars or something." Everybody pitch in. So I feel good. My son, 
So I, I thought it was, he was goofing around, right? What is the problem? What is the root cause of all that? Why is the emptying process necessary? Because it's all about self. Including in ministry, we want self-recognition. We want to recognize by others as that we are godly, we are making impact. And, and uh, pastors are not exempt either. Actually, in some sense, you know, Pharisaic way, it is even worse among the denominations, among the when pastors get together, who gets to be on stage, who speaks first, who closes worship with prayer, all those things are so weighty. And if I am promoted in some position, then I will struggle with the same thing. So our characters are known when people treat us as some celebrity. And there are, thank God, there are people, the spiritual leaders who are genuinely humble and genuinely really seeking others' interests by, by looking to God. And thank God for that. But most of cases, the self-problem isn't gone. So what does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Let's define righteousness first. In this sense, righteousness in New Testament has a lot to do with Christ's imputed righteousness. By faith, we receive God's free gift, grace, and that God credits Christ's perfect obedience and perfect life and his righteousness to us. That's called justification. We are declared righteous before God. Before holy God. But think about this. this these are the descriptions for the kingdom persons. Kingdom citizens. They already received the salvation. In some sense, in our growth is that unless there's imputed Christ's righteousness is within our hearts, we will not thirst and hunger for righteousness, true righteousness. So primarily, this is, has to do with the condition of our sanctification process. That in other words, in our everyday life, we want moral righteousness and social righteousness. Yes, social justice as well. So it's not like I'm having my devotion and I love God and I am thirst for God and that will be incongruent with the God's righteousness on us. God comes in with sovereign reign in our heart. We will care for the things that break God's heart. And when you care enough, there will be a persecution from the people who don't like it. But for now, let's think about, am I really one what God desires? In my, in my personal relationship, not because integrity makes me look good, but because like the Joseph 
in the Old Testament, how can I do such an evil thing before the sight of God? I want to please God in my personal relationship, in my marriage, in my, at my work. It matters to pursue and hunger and thirst for righteousness. And beyond that, what's happening in our society, what's happening in our streets, the kingdom person seeks what God desires. And that's expressed in social righteousness. And this social righteousness cannot never be divorced, separated from our personal moral righteousness. So in that sense, it means longing after what God desires in two parts. And to be right with God. And to please God in our personal lives and in the world in which we live. So it leads to this idea. It means to to be preoccupied by intense longing and aching for righteousness. Kind of afterthought, oh, okay. I've been busy with my own personal stuff too much. My business and my kids were preoccupying me. So now I need to think about things that I could please God. No. John Nelson Darby, who was the Plymouth, Plymouth Brethren uh, Movement, the founder of that, it's a, writes a poignant words, kind of penetrating our hearts. He writes, To be hungry is not enough. I must be really starving to know what is in his heart towards me. When the prodigal son was hungry, he went to feed upon husks. But when he was starving, he turned to his father. Now, I still remember during my college days and my spiritual awakening days, and I became so hungry and after, you know, hunger after God. And one of the, the radical things that I tried is my friends and I decided to go on this fasting retreat. Four days, three nights, no food. You know, the usually retreat like that is kind of just like the flies by, right? Think about no meal time. Especially a person like me. I long for that meal time. Fellowship, but it's eating something. There's no meal time. So long. And this is my first time really uh, full-blown fast, and just the water only, for, for three days, three nights and four days. And I still remember. That morning, we're breaking our fast, and they were serving potato soup. Just a soup. And my friend and I were looking at each other. 
and we're tasting first spoonful of soup. And the tears. <laughs> he and I were sharing this moment of joy. Incredible. This was a, the best potato soup, any soup we ever tasted. It was so good. Sisters and brothers, listen to me. What it means to be God-centered as we're leading this church and church plan together, that we have hunger for what God desires that way. Let's continue to think about just a little bit about what can distort this pure hunger and thirst in us. And I just want to briefly go over this so that we are aware of the constant spiritual battle that is going on. You don't have to go to mission field to feel the enemy's disturbance. And as a matter of fact, when you are not gearing up spiritually, he and his army will leave you alone. Why? Because you're no threat. The more you are being spiritually asleep and apathetic, the better his war war and battles are. But the moment we desire and we gear up, I will not live like this. There's a holy discontent in my heart. I will get up in the morning and meet with God. I will set aside at the late night meet with God. And I, I will try to serve the, the lost and the marginalized. Well, I didn't get to go to that food bank last month. I know that there's a ministry to serve these uh, women who are battered and who are escaping and finding shelter from Violence at home, whatever that spousal abuse might look like. I want to go there, serve. Not because of my, I want to feel good about myself. But I want to live out. So anyone who belongs to God has this hunger and thirst. And this is a sign that one is a true Christian. First letter of John, Apostle John, without beating around the bush, he comes straight forward. And says, anyone who is born of God, do not sin. And then we're shocked, right? So the, the meaning is that do not continually dwell in sin. Why? The seed of God is in him. The seed is a longing to please God, to follow along. Even when we are going astray, that seed doesn't go away. That person will return if there is a seed of God in him, i.e., if that person is truly saved. And this is a, for some of us, Threatening spiritual audit. For those of you struggled and you feel 
that you're just a lot of mourning of your over your heart and defeat and failures also but you have that longing in your heart and this is a sweet comfort from God isn't it sure sign that you belong to him but think about this how it this gets this gets distorted is when our self can distort this pure hunger and thirst for righteousness screaming for our own gratification attention a slight distortion of extraordinarily good things produces extraordinarily evil things namely example is Lucifer who became Satan he was the the most beautiful of all angelic beings so can I lovingly challenge you there are good things in your life in our church it's just no brainer the way you love your kids are incredible and thank God our dads are home drawn dads rather than outward and you know doing the work and alcoholic and hobby and all that most of almost all of our dads love our moms in our church are filled with compassion and creativity and desires and dreams and advocates for their children including in my house when you have a high functioning autistic kid the way that mom Soren's mom my wife stepped up incredible I've never seen that kind of courage but let's think about this just a little bit when that good thing, extraordinarily good things, are twisted a little bit, we are lured into Satan's lies. And that hunger is for the wrong things because it becomes about me again. And therefore, this beatitude must be rooted in the first three Beatitudes, brokenness from self-righteousness and self-reliance. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Um, this chapter was incredible as well. And those of you who have the book, I continually encourage you to read it. And this is a little bit of a one short paragraph. He writes, this beatitude again follows logically from the previous ones. It is a statement to which all the others lead. It is a logical conclusion to which they come. It is something for which we should all be profoundly thankful and grateful to God. I do not know a better test that anyone can apply to himself or herself in this whole matter of the Christian profession. And then a verse like this. If this verse is to you one of the most blessed statements 
of the whole scripture, you can be quite certain you are a Christian. If it's not, then you had better examine the foundations again. Keep that in mind that either meekness, either pure in the heart, and merciful, being merciful, only Jesus is the perfect state of that sanctification. If we will get to that, we will become like Christ. Struggle with sin no more. The two expect that our hunger is almost a mature state of that overnight will be the actually immaturity, sign of immaturity. This is a paradoxical thing, isn't it? When we are hunger, we're filled, and because they're filled, we grow more, and that hunger in, becomes intensified uh, to a degree again. I think probably the best example to really to to share in our in our everyday life, although this doesn't come close to perfect illustration at all. But anything even we like, like for example, I don't know how many of you like classical music. I do. My my sister was a uh, playing piano, flute, and violin, and she became later became a composer. But all through my childhood. And even through early teenage years, I hated class music. It's boring. I'd rather do outside activities and martial arts. And that's one of the biggest regrets that I resisted to learn piano. But during my teenage years, my sister handed me this album, the final album, right? By Schubert. It was the sonata for arpeggione. It's commonly known as an arpeggione sonata. And there's a three movements. And she recommended you listen over and over. That you will learn to appreciate more. And she was right. Every time when I was listening, I was able to cure the emotion. To tell, it's basically... Played by cello. The arpeggiano is a, a little smaller than cello, but it's not, doesn't exist anymore. The, the sound of cello just stringing the, my emotions. And the, by the time when I in college, I turn off all the lights and put on the candlelight, and I was listening, almost tearing up with just joy of just appreciation even more. And I lost that album. I've been longing for that. And thank you for God's provision of Spotify. <laughs> I found it for free. And I, I, it's on my favorite. I'm listening now again. You see, if you are saying you will learn to hunger and thirst for this overnight, that will be a lie. 
But now that I have hunger and I'm venturing into other things as well. Have you had the moment that you are so thirsty and hungry for what God desires in your life? That you could hardly contain in your heart. And maybe it is getting to know God in your personal life and community and home group, men's group, women's group. Maybe some of us are stirred by what God desires and there is a pain and suffering and marginalization going on. The, the sin of systematic evil going on. Then you are hungry and thirsty for God's righteousness to shine in our neighborhood. That you will not be able to make the fundamental difference of systematic evil. But I will participate in serving. And when you're holding the child or baby or, or do, doing the foot bank thing, it's a minimal thing. Let's not glorify that. But at the same time, it actually changes us. It deepens our thirst. And our kids learn that. And that's how I learned it from my, my grandma. When I was a child, she would take me to these street market and there's a woman whose entire store is what comes down from her head. You know what I mean? And that's her sales of the day. My my grandma loved that lady. She became a Christian. She doesn't read. She's illiterate. So whatever that my, my grandma reads to her, she will hold on to it. And she will actually become very close age, but she will she will hold her bigger bags, almost like an assistant way, because she, she, she's genuinely admiring her. And for me to see that and take that rice and, or sell that newspapers, uh, like the recycled things, to, to, to distribute that, this is such a joy that I wanted to do more. There's a paradox again, before I close. Um, I'm missing another slide. In your outline, the blessing is, they shall be satisfied. And obviously, there's a two sense, the immediate sense that we are actually going to experience satisfaction. We will be filled in such a way that we will become thirst for more. The presently, that is a Christian life. A joy-filled and joy-overflowing Christian life. But the ultimate feeling and satisfaction will come. There will be no more crying and no more dying. And no more cancer. Hallelujah. And we will experience the ultimate feeling of God Himself. Where there's a presence of God, there will be a fullness of joy.
When I think about my brother, I long for that. My brother who has a speech impediment still, who doesn't have a ministry anymore, that the church that he planted, he has to resign because of neurological disease. That he would be satisfied. That he will no, have no regret following Christ. So in closing, there are three things that I'd like to suggest. Oh, once again, I think that this question will arise in you. Some of you probably asked that question. There's an inconsistency in what you're saying, Paul. You just said, introduction-wise, this is a depiction, portrait, not a command, that we cannot do these things to be, in order to be saved. So this is a work of God that is happening in your heart. This is a work of grace. That God is at work, whether you feel it or not. Yes? <coughs> then why are you saying that we ought to live this out? Why? Because they, in a very paradoxical way, that's what God's sovereign grace and our faith and obedience works. It is by grace through faith you have been saved. It is not result of your works. But at the same time, the same Paul will say, go after your salvation with trembling. Work out your salvation. Hold on to your faith that you may not be cut off. Be faithful to the end. So as a Christian, if you think about this, everyone who belongs to God's kingdom, everyone who is in heaven, have these qualities. But why are they there? Because God's character is there, God. We want to live out that. So as a Christian, it is important for us to become, retain saltiness, the brightness and hunger and thirst is the same thing. And wouldn't it be wouldn't it be accurate for, for us to say typical American Christians would not have this kind of hunger and thirst after church? First thing that they think about is what's lunch and what's in, on TV, what sports <laughs> games are playing today, and what type of entertainment can we have together? Hunger and thirst for that. But if we are consumed by desires of God, not because we're religious, but because our intimate relationship with God has broken down our stubborn self, there is a new passion and new desire. And in, in, a, in a solitude and silence yesterday, I want to open up my furnace just a little bit. If I open up to it, the, all the heat will go out. So there's a little bit of secrecy that I want to keep back. But this much I could share. 
I saw a lot of inconsistency, mixed motivations in my best days. And I, I, I am really thankful what's happening at a crossway. But unless I become pure in my motive, God, our church will not become real. So I basically said, make me real, Lord. And I become spiritually bankrupt again. Mourn over my sin. Break my stubborn self. I surrender to you. And there's a hunger in me. And this morning my anticipation was this. That some of us will remember how, how long we've been incrementally drifting away from God. And this message actually reminds you of the moments that you were thirsty for God. That you begin to say, I, I missed you, God. I missed you, Abba. I've been staying away too long, too far. Intellectually, conceptually, I've been following. But I want you. I want what you desire in my life, in my heart. And change me. That's my honest desire. And three, three things that I would like to suggest. Let's first recognize and renounce our false cravings. Including the seemingly good things. Twisted good things. Number two, let's examine our spiritual health by our hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, how many times that you have consistently having quiet time, not how much you're involved at our church. But how thirsty you are, how hungry you are, will indicate your spiritual health. And finally, let's come and be satisfied by righteousness of God so we may hunger and thirst for more. It delights yourself in the Lord. He will satisfy your heart. That satisfaction, do you think that that person will go away from God? Will come back and delight more so that he, he could satisfy our hearts more. And may God open our eyes to the deep hunger and thirst within each one of us. Father, we are grateful for your word. The illumination of the Holy Spirit upon our hearts. By your grace, we come to you. We long to be filled with longings. We want to want what you desire. We want to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Would you feel us so that we may taste that the Lord is really indeed good and that what you desire 
it brings such a satisfaction that we will want you more. Oh, I pray for this thirst and hunger to fall upon our hearts at this church. Revive us. And revive us in such a way that we begin to become self-forgetful and to seek righteousness in our society. Help us to selflessly serve without expecting self the recognition from others. Thank you for the seed of God in us that we really do desire. We long to please you. And we pray that you would be glorified in our uttermost joy in you. In the name of the Father and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.